0: Listen now for the word of the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Look to him and be radiant, so your faces shall never be ashamed. This poor soul cried and was heard by the Lord and was saved from every trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you, his holy ones, for those who fear him have no want. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord, which of you desires life and covets many days to enjoy good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord rescues them from them all. He keeps all their bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil brings death to the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Spirit of the living God, Speak to us, Spirit of the Living God, speak through us, Spirit of the Living God, speak in spite of us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer whose name we pray. Amen. I was reflecting on mantras, you know, or sayings that come to mind at different moments in life. Maybe they're sayings, wise ones, in fact, like the early bird gets its worm or The many different manifestations of neither a borrower nor a lender be to thine own self be true All of these might be really good advice really good sayings I remember my wife telling me I wish you had met my grandma Whom we called Mimi Because whenever she took care of her grandchildren they would end up writing all over the walls and Spilling all their drinks and not finishing their food and breaking some vase of some kind And at the end of the day when mom would come home to pick them up. She'd be oh my gosh What did you guys do to Mimi's house and Mimi would say oh? They're just tired They're just tired Of course mom would say no, they're just bad. That's what's going on But not Mimi Mimi saw something else. No, they're just tired when life is at its hardest, our faith journey at its driest, our circumstances at their most challenging say, when we've made a mess of the walls and spilled the drinks and broken one thing or another relationships or otherwise, where does our mind go? Which mantras do we believe? Today, The psalmist is trying to give us a mantra we can depend on, a group, several mantras, but more than a mantra, something so deeply true that we would be drawn to its beauty and goodness and moved to action. The psalmist is inviting us to seek God and to seek, according to the psalmist, is to praise, to take refuge, and to serve. That is what is in our morning's text. So first... What is it to seek at all? It comes from intentionality. We seek because we choose to seek this and not something else. But choice has a tricky history in our reform tradition with debates about free will and how much of it we actually have, but I can't really get into that here. But someone I found helpful is Dallas Willard, an American philosopher but also a committed Christian and practical theologian who passed away in 2013. And he wrote extensively about what he believed to be a widespread problem in the church, that is passivity, that we weren't giving effort in our faith. He writes, the path of spiritual growth in the riches of Christ is not a passive one. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Effort is action. Earning is attitude. You have never seen people more active than those who have been set on fire by the grace of God. You see, our Reformed tradition gave us this great gift that we are not saved by our works, works righteousness. We aren't good because of the good things we do. We are made good by the one who is good and has saved us. But this has often led us to passivity, D- Dallas Willard writes. But our faith requires effort the effort put in to choose, the effort in intentionality and spending time, spending time in prayer and solitude in nature, spending time in scripture, and in Bible study, and in dialoguing with our small group, spending time in worship. This is effort. And grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to an attitude of entitlement, of earning, of we deserve something because of what we've done. Rather, effort is a response to what has already been done. For us, that is the sacrifice of God in Christ Jesus at the cross. Seeking takes effort. Early Christians understood this with some of the earliest documented pilgrimages in the fourth century. They occurred first to the Holy Land and then all over to the place of martyrs. It even included Iona, Scotland, an island, a place for pilgrims from at least the 500s where even today people of faith travel, including the Kirk group that journeyed there recently. To see not only Iona, but also the places from which Scottish reformation and modern Presbyterianism arose. One theologian described the importance of pilgrimage as a spiritual practice. To go on pilgrimage is not simply to visit a place, to admire its treasures of nature, art, or history. To go on pilgrimage really means to step out of ourselves in order to encounter God where he has revealed himself, where his grace has shown with particular splendor and produced rich fruits of conversion and holiness among those who believe. Above all, Christians go on pilgrimage to the Holy Land, the places associated with the Lord's passion, death, and resurrection. But another theologian will go on to say that this isn't just those physical moments when we go on a journey, but rather that our spiritual life is perpetual pilgrimage. At least it is according to the apostle Peter, and as we find also in the book of Hebrews, we are pilgrims after all. But what does it mean then to seek God on perpetual pilgrimage, the psalmist shows us the way it is to actively praise. I will bless the Lord at all times, His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That is what comes to mind for the psalmist. Now, before we dismiss the psalmist as saying, well, that's really easy surface level theology there, that even when life is hard and the circumstances get difficult, you just jump to the positive. You're just an optimist, but you haven't really suffered. But before we accuse the psalmist of such a thing, let's look at the text. He uses terms like the humble here and they can be glad. He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. I shall never be ashamed. This poor soul cried out and was saved from every trouble. I took refuge in the Lord. The face of the Lord is against evildoers. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. This is not someone who is alien to suffering and to pain. In fact, he says many are the afflictions of the righteous. No, we cannot dismiss the psalmist as too easy of an answer with praise. The psalmist has deeply suffered, but he has discovered that the thing that endures and sustains, the thing that is deeply true and can get us through anything, is to praise That praise is the proper and perhaps only appropriate response even to pain. Now, how is that? I don't think anyone sums it up as well as C.S. Lewis does. He writes this in his Reflection on the Psalms, worth, worth a read. The most obvious fact about praise, he writes, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time most balanced and capacious minds praised most, while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised least. I had, noticed either, I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmists, in telling us everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. And listen to this, he writes, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy, because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. Think about that for a moment. Think about the work of art. Think about the the up north travels here in summertime. Think about those moments that you have not only deeply enjoyed, but suddenly you were drawn to exclaim something about it and to want to share it with someone else. That's happened to us when Eli first started walking and everyone turned around, oh my gosh, look, look, he's walking. His hands held up and... I don't know if it was walking or more stumbling or, you know, kind of uh, duck walking, I guess, you know, approaching us with his arms held up. All that joy was more fully expressed in the praise. See, I've always been confused by praise. I wondered, why does God need our praise? Well, the answer from Scripture is God doesn't. God doesn't need our praise. God delights in our praise. But, our, but praising God is not so much about God as it is something for us. In praising God, we enjoy God's world more. That's what C.S. Lewis is saying. In praising God, we enjoy one another more. We look for the good. Maybe like Mimi, we look at people who are not acting as their best self, and we say, they're just tired. And maybe they just need a little grace. C.S. Lewis believes someone who is quick to praise, someone who lives out of praise with that grateful heart, is responding appropriately to grace and fills the world with that gratitude. I don't know about you, but that's tough for me. You need only read the newspaper. You need only live in the world a little while and there is much to criticize. There is much to complain about. There is much to judge and condemn. We do it all the time. We do it with the food we're served at a restaurant. We do it with the traffic patterns of the driver in front of us. We do it in our own family and to our own friends. We think about all the ways they could just be better and better, and so we criticize and we complain. The world is always disappointing us. Even the sun is shining wrong. But to praise God, to live out of praise, the psalmist is reminding us to to take that as our mantra, even when life is hard and our faith is at its driest and the circumstances at their most challenging, is to see that there is beauty and there is truth and there is goodness at work in the world even now right now even in spite of us to praise God is to see that beauty It's to experience that beauty it's to taste and see that the Lord is good We want that goodness and beauty. We want that truth in our lives, some kind of standard that makes the world make sense. But often we do not want the source and that's why it's so hard to praise. We want all the benefits of a relationship with God without being in relationship with God. That is to be accountable to something out there, to someone who might even demand that we change, that we become humbler and more patient and gentler, that we look at others with more grace and not tear them down with our complaints and criticism. We seek happiness and peace, but somehow we want it apart from God. And the psalm reminds us, depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. There it is again, to seek To seek God is to seek peace, but you cannot seek peace on its own. C.S. Lewis writes once again, God does not give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. It is as if to imagine offering a drink of water to someone without the water's wetness. The water is wet by definition. God is peace and goodness and truth and beauty. By definition, we cannot have them without God. To praise is to also praise at all times, in the toughest of times and in the driest of times. Our faith can feel dry at times, can it? And that makes it hard to praise. It started off with lots of excitement when we sought out all the things related to our faith We joined the small group. We took the Bible study. Maybe we even went on pilgrimage We learned the hymns and prayers. We faithfully attended worship. We set our devotional time early in the morning or right before bed and ever since we've drifted we feel disconnected from God and therefore not aligned with our sense of purpose Maybe it happened because we became disappointed by leaders in the church, or because we're not as excited by the music as we once were, or faith practices have gone by the wayside like many of the diets we've also tried. Or as the great famous saying goes, the strongest argument against Christianity is Christians. You had a bad experience with a fellow congregant You met them at a volunteer opportunity or just before or after worship, or you work with them, or you're on a committee with them, or you travel with them, and then you're let down. Organized religion, you say, it's just too serious. It gets in the way of all that spiritual fun, and you walk away for a time. And some of your criticisms are likely accurate and valid. The church is, in fact, full of people who get it wrong. Often it's full of hypocrites. You say we can always use another one. We would respond That is we don't all exactly live as we'd like we're not all fully consistent with our values We err we stumble we lose our way, but come join the hypocrites who've been forgiven Living into the truth of God because that's the other part about praise You see to do so continually means we also don't do it alone Faith is not a solo act. Friends, faith is not an individual sport. It's not a private practice. It, of course, includes time for private prayer and time for private Bible study and devotion in nature alone with God, and I hope you take it. But it must also include the company of the sinners turned saints that God has redeemed. When you are experiencing a dry spell, it is important to see, to still see the goodness of God in our lives and in the world, in others. I believe, said one man to Jesus, help my unbelief. Our fellow believers can help us believe. We can read or hear their testimonies, be recipients of their prayers, like Stephen's ministers who are available after each worship service or their visits like deacons in our care groups, or the solidarity and accompaniment like our grief groups here at the Kirk. The community of faith can help sustain our faith even when our faith feels weak. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, says the psalmist, and let us exalt his name together. Together. Praise to seek God is to praise God to praise God at all times to praise God not just alone but in company and in this seeking in this praising of God and finding refuge in him in serving God and serving those broken hearted and downtrodden we see that the Lord is near says the psalmist just when we thought we've been seeking God we discover That God has been seeking us, has sought us in Christ Jesus. God has drawn near and draws near again, even now, to the brokenhearted and to the crushed. As I end, I think of a story of a man I knew and his daughter. His daughter had become addicted to opioids. It was a very well-to-do family. They had great standing in the community and well-known, great wealth, had been to great schools. She remembers struggling with her addiction and finally one day her father convincing her to get in the car and go to that rehabilitation center. She got in, but then she started fighting all the way He had to hold the seatbelt down until they arrived. When they arrived, she tried to run out of the car and into oncoming traffic. He did what only he could have thought of in the moment. He jumped out and grabbed her. He tackled her to the ground. Security starts coming out from the institute and the father thinks, ah, they're going to help me get her in there but a pretty big man tackling a small young woman who is screaming for help doesn't go over so well. So actually, they were trying to arrest him, but he wouldn't let go and he refused. He would never let go of this girl because he knew that if he let go, she would be lost to them. And finally, What stopped that moment was the daughter whispered, he's my dad. The security confirmed this and backed away. And in an interview, five years after the fact, she shared that on that day, she chose life over death with those simple words. He's my dad. And he's here to help. She has since been 10 years sober. But I can't remember a story like that. I can't read a story like that without thinking of how Jesus is seeking us. Those of us wrestling with our own demons, our own past, our own struggles. That like this daughter, Jesus is doing everything to surround us with grace, with beauty, with truth, with goodness, and how often we fight Him all the way. But that there is a choice before us, a choice of life over death. Can we say, in Jesus Christ, God is at work? He's my dad, and he's here to help. And may his name be praised this day and evermore. Amen.